and asked him to put down a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will lay down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up to the shore, left everything, and followed him. Thank you, Phil. Well, off to a new year. Things are good. You already got all those decorations put away and everything, and the house is all cleaned up, right? Um, okay, some of you are slow. <laughs> but it's going to be a great year this year, and so I'm excited about some things that are coming up, and it's, it's just going to be a good thing. We have been talking about God with us, and... Uh, looking at some things with that in December, and I want to talk a little bit more about worship and what happens with that in January, and so that's kind of where we're headed with things. Um, next Sunday night, I want you to be aware the elders are planning uh, a devotional and would like for you to bring chili soup or something like that. Um, I'm sure Kevin will have more to say about it uh, later on when they talk about those things. And so that's going to be a good time. No connect groups next week. We're all supposed to meet here at the building. So that should be a good time as well. All right. So as you look at the story that Phil has just read to us, it has occurred to me at several times that worship occurs without it actually saying the word worship. And so there are a number of times that, that it's like that. And this seems to be one of those. Jesus had been teaching the crowd is pressing around and he gets into Simon Peter's boat he pushes out a little bit so that you know if you get close to the boat it's up to here and you can't hear it anymore it also makes where Peter is a captive audience and he now has to listen to the sermon so here he is in the boat and he's listening to the sermon along with Jesus he finishes and then asks them to cast out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. And of course, Peter has the excuse, well, we already tried this. We've been at this all night. You don't understand fishing. Fish only bite at night. They're up close to the shore. They're not out in the deep. All of these excuses, all of these reasons, although he doesn't say those according to our text, it's just a matter of saying, well, 
we've caught nothing and at your word we will try this. We will do this. And they catch so many fish that their nets begin to break and they cannot pull them in. They call for James and John and both boats now are at the sinking point and Peter suddenly realizes something. This is so much bigger than I am. This is so much bigger than anything I ever thought about having here. And what an amazing thing it is for him to sit in the middle of all this and realize the difference between who he is and who's standing in his boat. That this isn't just a lucky thing. No fishermen are that lucky. But that now God has come into his boat and God has given him this huge catch of fish which brings him face to face with himself and says, why is he in my boat? Because I'm not that good. I'm not that worthy. I'm not one of those people who could even who could even stand next to him and now he's in, by, in my boat and so he gives him the out. He falls down at his knees and it, it's one of those positions of worship that we see he falls down at his knees and does the only thing he can think of to do and that's to say you need to go away from me because it's brought him into this great conflict and the great conflict is here's this good thing that's happened and good things happen to good people, right? And bad things happen to bad people. We all know that. That's the way it works. And so if you're having good things happen to you, it means you're a good person. If you're having bad things happen to you, it means, okay, you should be better. But that's what a lot of times we think. Because I don't know why, but we're trained that way for some reason. And Peter is so impressed with this whole thing, with this whole moment when he begins to realize this on several levels that God is in his life now. That here's a whole boat full of fish which he could never get in a whole lifetime. How many of you ever caught a fish before? Okay, good. Some of you guys are lucky. <laughs> How many of you ever filled a whole boat full of fish before? Okay. Yeah, me either. I'm just lucky if I catch one. Uh, it doesn't seem to happen that way. I've caught some, but just yeah, that's a whole other subject. He realizes not only is that boat full of fish something that is so amazing that he would never accomplish in his lifetime, nor has he heard of any other person ever accomplishing in their lifetime. He realizes the Son of God is standing in his boat. He realizes his own sin. And he is very aware. And why did this make such a sudden impression on him? You see, he had seen Jesus before. He had already called him when they were mending nets by the shore in Galilee. He had been down to Judea looking for the Messiah, heard of John the Baptist, and was looking at John the Baptist, and then Jesus walks by. And sure enough, Andrew came and got him and said... John said, this is the guy. And so he'd seen him there, but now he'd gone back to fishing. And all of a sudden, at this moment, when he's sitting in the boat and the fish are everywhere, he is just so overwhelmed 
that, that he can't function. He doesn't know what to do except to say, God, you need to leave. Because I know who I am and you don't want to be around me. And so he is amazed on so many levels. And there are these moments when we are suddenly aware that we are involved in something that is so much bigger than we are. I'm sure there are times that you have seen things like this where they're just amazing to you and this sudden realization comes upon you. And that's what we like to think of as worship. He falls at his knees, overwhelmed by his own sin, overwhelmed by the majesty and greatness of God, impressed by that. And all he can do is say, I'm not worthy. And Jesus calls him and says, don't worry. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. You follow me. What an incredible thing it is when the Son of God, Lord of heaven and earth, stands in your boat and can give you something that is so huge that you can realize what it is. And it has suddenly come upon you and, and all of your sin has come upon you as well. And then you, he says, we've got work to do. Come with me. And it doesn't matter what you thought of yourself before. Now you know what he thinks of you. And so he calls you and you follow. Have you ever felt unworthy? Like you don't fit? Like you don't belong? People, a lot of times, will do that with guilt. Preachers are good at that, right? Make people feel guilty, like they're terrible sinners. Get them to the point where Peter is. But we can't get them to the point where Peter is. Because if you use guilt and you use try to overwhelm somebody with how terrible and awful they are and how guilty they are, it doesn't seem to work the same way as when they come to their own realization because of something that has been done that's too good. It's much different when we realize that God sees us and when we're overwhelmed because of the goodness of God and because there's too much blessing. And what an incredible thing that is to be overwhelmed by blessing, to realize, well, I... I didn't even know to ask for all of this and now He's given it to me. And I think worship comes from how much we've been given. Worship comes out of blessing more than anything else. Not so much out of guilt. We'll realize our own guilt compared to where He is, but it comes out of that sense of blessing. And we're faced with something that's so far beyond our imagination that we can't comprehend, even if it's a boatload of fish. And somebody did that for us. And when we see something or someone who is truly good, it just makes us amazed. Worship comes out of a realization for our sin and the sinfulness that we have. It's a real understanding of God's love. As you look at this situation, oddly enough, Peter doesn't say a word about fish. Why didn't he at least say thank you for the fish? He doesn't even say thank you. How many fish is it? How many pounds? Let's count tails. 
he is focused on Jesus. And he faces Jesus, and he's not rejoicing over fish. He's realizing who he is and who Jesus is. And if he can't be with Jesus, because Jesus is too good, then you either ask Jesus to leave or he's got to change. And it's such a huge conflict within him that it becomes the motivation for change. And that's where I think we see a lot of people today. That's where we would like to see people today. That's what we always hoped the preacher could do, you know. If he could just fill their pew with fish or something that would make them to suddenly worship suddenly realize that God is amazing, He's powerful, He's awesome. And how do you do that? Well, first of all, you be Jesus. I mean, that's the main way you do that. But there are those times, I think, when we have been in the middle of it all and been busy and been working and been doing things and you believe in God. I mean, you're here on a Sunday morning, right? But it may not always may not always be so in your face or up front because we don't think of it that much. We've got a lot of stuff we have to get done. Oh yeah, there's church on Sunday. And so we come and we hope it's not too boring rather than coming to meet the Creator of heaven and earth. And if you could meet Him here, how amazing that would be. There's several times where this happens. Uh, there's one in the Old Testament I want to share with you. This is the story of Jacob. And Jacob had given, been given the blessing of his family. His grandfather is Abraham. His father is Isaac. And he has a brother named Esau, which is not such a good brother. But uh, he actually conned Esau out of the birthright, had him sell him the birthright. And then when it comes to the blessing, he, with the help of his mother, goes and finds the animal and is able to steal the birthright or the blessing as well. And so now he's got to leave. His dad tells him, I want you to go find a wife, but because you are the one to inherit this blessing, I don't want you to just find a wife from anywhere around here, certainly not a Canaanite wife. I want you to go back. And he sends him back to another place to be able to find a wife. And so he is basically on the run for two things. One, to start his family. And secondly, to get away from his brother who has promised he would kill him. And so he knows all about all of this. He knows all about Abraham and uh, his father Isaac. I'm sure he's been told about the family blessing because he wanted to inherit the blessing. And so here we are in Genesis 28. Says and he does go to sleep. He finds a rock and goes to sleep on the rock. And he says, and he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up to earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And the land to which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. 
and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. And Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and he said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. What an incredible thing to say and to realize that I happen to fall asleep in the right place. And, you know, he is so impressed with this. He saw the, the ladder that went up to heaven and angels ascending and descending. And, and Jesus is going to use this figure later on. But... Uh, as you look at this, he's, he's so impressed with all of this. It's amazing to realize that, you know, God is talking to him. And we always say the, you know, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But now it's just Abraham, Isaac, and we're about to put Jacob in because he gets the same promise. And even knowing the promise and having heard the promise and having seen all of this, Somehow we just let it go to where it becomes normal, where it becomes ordinary. And so there's not much rejoicing over what's ordinary. You want to show off the new car that you bought, right? I mean, it's pretty, it's shiny, it's great. By the time you've made all those payments, you don't even wash it anymore. (laughs) And you hope nobody sees you. So whatever it's new, we think about that and we think about how wonderful this is. And then when it's not new anymore, then it's like, ah, again this week, you're standing in the presence of God. And there are those moments where it drives you into worship that are sudden, that is overwhelming, the fact that I realize where I am. And from here, Jacob makes a promise. He realizes that importance, and it's not real easy when it's familiar. It's a major promise that's going to be in the world forever. That the Messiah would come, and that the blessing would come through their family, and that this would be the the place of Jesus. And and he, he had forgot. He wasn't even excited about it. Why hadn't? Why weren't they excited about this? I think we need to think differently about worship. A lot of times we tend to go and look at worship examples. And okay, here's an example of people who worshiped. And what is it we're trying to copy? We're trying to copy the how. How did they do it? And if we do it the same way they did it, then obviously we've done the worship the same way they did it. Okay, copy this one. Or copy the boat full of fish. That's a little bit more difficult, isn't it? Because we want to emphasize the method and the mechanism and how it's what God said. And that's all true. And the way God wants to be worshipped is the way God said. And we don't want to do it the wrong way. We want to do it like the Bible says, and we go to great lengths to do it exactly like the Bible says. 
And our goal seems to be to have acceptable worship. How sad is that? Just acceptable? Well, God couldn't find anything wrong with our worship. Really? That does sound like boring worship, doesn't it? How about if we were excited to be at the gate of heaven? Wouldn't that be a little bit better? We run the risk of being unacceptable if we do it wrong. But it may not be in the way we do it that makes it acceptable or unacceptable. It may be something bigger than that. And I think the biggest question we need to answer with worship is not how. It's why. Why would you worship? Why would you ever come and say God is great? And then everybody else has to say all the time. It's just the way it goes. I don't know. But why do we worship? What is it that makes the difference? And as you look through scriptures, you see these overwhelming things that are amazing. God's overwhelming love reaches down like the rays of the sun. He brings light and love and joy. We see the greatness of God. We see the smallness of us. We see the reason for existence because there's a plan that takes place. And it explains why we're here and what we're doing here. And that is so much bigger. We can be loved by God and that's the greatest thing ever. We're able to know grace. And we can rejoice in the fact that we can respond to eternity. I mean, how often do you get a chance to do that? We can respond to majesty and to glory. But do we even believe in such things in this life? Or is it just, well, I've got to get back to work. Monday's coming tomorrow. That we could feel such majesty and feel such glory and maybe get one of those moments when it's just so overwhelming that it's not about what we have to do in our list of things that have to happen, but it's more about that we have been in the presence of God and we have seen something that God has done that is just so far beyond where we are. The forgiveness and grace can be seen in the face of sin. Not defiant sin, realized sin. The kind that drives you to your knees and says, God, I, I can't live in this conflict anymore. Realizing I stand next to your greatness and that I'm such a sinner and that I'm the one who needs to change. We see it several times that it happens. Has it happened in your life? I hope it has. But I hope it doesn't take a surprise for it to happen. I hope it happens when you say, I'm going somewhere because I'm going to expect it. Because I want it to happen. Because I'm trying to get this place with God. We see it with shepherds and angels that we had talked about. All of a sudden the sky opens up and all angels are praising and going, huh, that's pretty cool. Maybe we should go check it out. And they go and they're rejoicing because of what they have been able to see. And all they saw was a baby. There's one other time that I think is so impressive in, in our history when you're able to see all of this happening and that's on Pentecost. 
when you're able to see the people who had realized that they are guilty of the blood of Jesus and they had heard the teaching of Jesus for three years now and they still didn't get it. And they suddenly realized they were the ones who had crucified a Savior. And rather than worship, they crucified. Only saved people have a reason to praise. Unsaved ones don't. And so as Peter begins talking to them and bringing this about and telling them about the history and telling them about what Jesus has done, he comes to the end of this and it's got to have been such an amazing moment, but we are so bored with this set of verses. But it is one of the most important things that you can see. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Has that ever happened to you? And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And so they had heard Peter preaching. They had heard Jesus preaching. They had heard all the lessons. Well, not all, but many of the lessons. And people were talking about the ones that Jesus had healed. And, and Peter's just explaining to them that, well, you saw Jesus. He was here. He did signs. He fulfilled prophecy. The prophecy about David. And he's going to be sitting on the throne of David. And when they realized this, it says they were cut to the heart. It, it made such an impression. Why didn't it make an impression a month and a half before? Not at all. In the face of a Roman governor telling them, I don't find any guilt, they had screamed, crucify him, crucify him. Nothing's getting through to us. And now a simple pouring of the Spirit and a guy standing up to tell him, Here's what happened. And all of a sudden, they are cut to the heart. And what do we do? And Peter's able to say, I understand the conflict. I stood right next to him with a boat full of fish. And I saw my own sin. And I saw his greatness. And the thing that's got to happen is he either will leave you or you have to change to be with Him. And here's how you do it. And so He tells them, you change by repentance, by baptism, by taking on a new promise. The promise that's been there all the time. In fact, it was the promise of Jacob. It was exactly the same promise that Jacob didn't realize that is exactly the same promise that we don't realize that one of his descendants, his seed, would be a blessing to everyone in the whole earth. And that person who was the blessing to everyone in the whole earth is Jesus. And so Peter's just going back to exactly where Jacob was as Jacob suddenly realized, it's going to be in my family. And you know what? It can be in your family. How amazing is that, that we can be there where we can come face to face with God. 
I don't know if the suddenness of, of worship has ever come upon you, and I think that's what we keep hoping the preacher's going to do every week. You know, he's going to dump it on somebody. Let me tell you, he doesn't really know how to do that. Because <laughs> I think God has a lot more to do with that. But there will be this sudden revelation of, oh, I get it. And I would so love for you to be able to have that. That I get it. Because he says the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, even people in Arizona. And they are we excited about the promise that Jacob had, that we have? Can that promise come true in your life? Sometimes when I sit quietly considering that Jesus, what Jesus did for me, I'm a little overwhelmed. And we should be. For some people, it might take a boatload of fish and they have to just, you have to live in the stink for a little bit. And they're just not going to get it without that. For some people, it's this huge blessing. For some people, hopefully it works a little bit better. It's just realizing the promise. You have a promise today. You have a promise that God can heal. You have a promise that God is able to save you and bring you to heaven with Him. And you ought to be a little bit overwhelmed at what Jesus has done. Today, if you're not finished with that, if you're still sitting in the boat going, go away, I'm sinful, please come talk to somebody today. Please come and let's discuss this so that you're able to go away rejoicing.